right, Chelsea, you ready? Absolutely. All right, Ty, you ready? Let's go. It's been a while. Kicking off season ah. three. Timeout. Tyler, who the heck are we taking a timeout with today? Long time no see, Kevin. Good, man. Uh, season three of Timeout with Leaders is here, everybody. Up in the 585 today with Chelsea Conway, the CEO of Conway Beam Truck Group. Chelsea, <laughs> thanks for jumping on season three with Kevin and I. And we always start with the food question. So it's 12.08 of, up in the Eastern time, 11.08 my time. I can eat any time of the day. Where are you taking Kevin and I to eat for lunch today in the 585? Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I actually am a huge fan of Red Fern. So Ooh. probably coming from a Texas, that's not a, a favorable answer, but um, they have a compost plate there. And um, it is phenomenal for anyone from Rochester that loves the garbage plate. It is the healthier version. I do love meat, but um, if, if I want to go that healthier route, um, compost plate at Red Fern. I have, Definitely I have miss the garbage this. plates and the White Hots, man. No one knows what, what a White Hot is besides my neighbor has frozen <laughs> White Hots down here in, in Dallas, Texas. Frozen I White Hots. I didn't realize Wild. that. Yeah, I didn't realize that until my family reunion and every two years we get together and it was like sacrilegious if we didn't bring White Hots enough for them to freeze and take home. And I was like, man, I I had no idea they were such a delicacy up uh, up here. But <laughs> we, we are spoiled with our hot dogs in Rochester. Yeah, yes. we really are. We got a couple. Um, I always I always love uh, one. Uh, you were training uh, for what now to be a, a potential Olympic athlete? Yeah, so I was training in race walk. So um, I was uh, anywhere from the mile to the 20 kilometer race walk, which is 12 and a half miles. So in the Olympics for the females, they actually have the 20 kilometer race walk. So I just competed in the Olympic trials last June and placed 10th. Um, so unfortunately I missed Japan, but an incredible, incredible experience. I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm so glad I got to participate. Awesome athletes, phenomenal seeing the best individuals in the country and in the world. That is amazing. Well, I have to ask what was on your headphones for 12 and a half miles? Um, well, we actually can't, um, we can't listen no to music. Way. But um, a lot it, uh, during a lot of the races, they'll actually play music. So um, usually they play the same music for race walk. So I can't tell you how many times I heard walk like an Egyptian, um, <laughs> walk it out. I, I mean, like I've been burned out so many times by those songs. I always laugh because I think it's hilarious. I like, you know, I, I love when the DJs play up the, the sport, but um, you know, I, I've definitely been burned out from those songs at this point. <laughs> what's, your, what's your mile pace in race walking? Um, so my fastest mile is 714 officially. I've done a 706 unofficially. Oh I run a 940 mile every day. It doesn't get better. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm blown seven minutes in the, yeah. wow, you're really yeah. booking it. I, I'd love to get beat by a walker, you know? Yeah. That, that, that might be on my bucket list now. Sounds like she'll be Chelsea, laughing. We're at the Red Burn today. <laughs> What, uh, if you could pick three other people to be at that table with me, you and Kevin, who would those three people be, dead or alive? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I have to be nostalgic and say my grandfather, Elmer. So just, I would love to, love to have a conversation with him. Um, and then, and kind of going into the, the bigger picture, I think Eleanor Roosevelt would be phenomenal. I just think what she has lived, what she lived through and went through would be great. 
Um, ooh, the third person, Elon Musk. I would love to have a conversation with him. You love some E's, <laughs> Eleanor, Elmer, and Elon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw in easy E. All right. I love it. One of the last questions I have to ask, right, is um, so you kind of uh, you're speed walking, uh, not only in, uh, t- trying out for the Olympics. What was one of the greatest challenges outside of that that you had to overcome maybe professionally or personally um, that has made you the leader that you are today, Chelsea? Um, that's a that's a tough one. There's a lot. There, there's a list of things. So, you know, I, I'm still learning from it. Um, but I think the the biggest part was was walking into a family business. So um, we've been around since 1951. So entering a business that um, that individuals have been in longer than I've been alive and um, kind of putting my pride aside and saying, hey, can you teach me what you know? Um, I'm going to be your boss one day. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of having that humility to approach people and say, I need to learn from you because I don't have the answers, um, nor do I expect to have them anytime soon. So it, it's being open with your colleagues about that and and just asking for help. I think always the 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 number one thing is if you don't know what's what's happening find somebody that you can seek out for help and make sure you get genuine honest feedback um and that they they do want to share in in your success Mm -hmm. why 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 do you think honest feedback is so hard for human beings like like it's the most i mean it helps us grow the most right but yet it's just like no thank you uh, leave that at the corner. I'll just be mediocre. You know, what, what, what do you think in your experience, Chelsea, how have you come over that hurdle in, in actually wanting it, wanting the honest feedback? Well, it's, it's the fear that of what the feedback is, right? So first we don't want to know, sometimes we don't want to know the feedback. Um, it's just scary to kind of hear that, that negative criticism. I think the other side is, is, are we going to act on that feedback? Because if we don't act and change based on the feedback we received, then what are we even asking for the feedback? And kind of the other side is, is what level are you for getting the feedback? Are you know, are you above that person in a professional position or are you below that person in a company in a professional position? Because sometimes it's a matter of, you know, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings depending on on where they, you know, where they are in, in your profession as well as you don't want to reper- have any repercussions from for your position. So it's it's the tough part is is making sure that um, you can you know n- nobody know individuals know that they won't have anything negative result from from receiving that honest feedback, but then actually showing that you're going to act on it. That is the most important part. Yeah, because I think what you're talking about is the the essence of trust, right? And if they trust you, um, and 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 trust is earned or given by doing some of those actions, by taking that information and then showing, hey, we, we received this information and this is what we're going to do about it. And and that's really a lot of the conversations that I'm having with a lot of businesses and leaders right now is how are people furloughed, right? How, what was that communication and how much trust has been lost that you essentially have to now rebuild and. To your point, a lot. I think a lot of employees are exhausted giving their feedback and never knowing what is done with it. Some changes are made, but then we don't effectively tell them of why these changes were made, um, and they're 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 tired of speaking up. And we're seeing most most are kind of headed for the exits if they don't feel like their voice is being listened to, valued, and heard. 
I love that perspe- perspective that you have, but it's also you're, you're setting aside your ego, right? Because it's, I think you touched on it, their title sometimes limits what people are willing to share. And frankly, why Tyler and I started this entire podcast is we kept putting CEOs and CFOs on a different planet, you know, and we weren't holy enough to, to visit that planet, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you're just people. Um, how did you get yourself comfortable for asking for help? Because most CEOs would tell you, we can't ask for help because everybody looks to us to have all the answers. How did you get yourself comfortable with that? And maybe you would like to share kind of how you gained that perspective. Well, I think it's first going in and showing that you want to have a personal relationship with someone. If you don't, so, so what you said earlier, if you don't have that trust, then they don't have that trust in you, then you can't get to the next level of professional. So if you can first establish the, you know, the, I don't want to say unimportant stuff, but the non-business stuff that, you know, I think that a person's family situation is equally as important as their professional situation because they both integrate, they tie together. If somebody isn't happy at home, they're not going to be happy at work and vice versa. So first you have to establish that relationship with an individual, and then you can get into the harder uh, professional-based questions, uh, you know, something that that you might have no idea is, you can't just walk in and, and ask that, you know, it's first, hey, how are your kids doing? Did they win the soccer game last night? And then transitioning, it, it's almost like easing into a, a situation, but you have to genuinely show that you care. It's not just asking the question to ask, it's that genuine care that you can then transition to a professional subject. Yeah. And that that probably goes a lot further than than any compensation increase in most cases. And that's why it's fascinating that sometimes recognition is free. We just we don't have the time or we're not prioritizing. Thanks for sharing that, Chelsea. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wish I wish that I wish the kids were taught that. Right. And in school, at least it's like I think it's one of those things you have to experience, you know, Um, because I never forget when I put Kevin's name in an email for the first time in my life to some decision maker for a law firm up there, the guy wrote me back in like six minutes. And I was just like, this is how it's done. You know, <laughs> but it's like, like, what, where do we learn that? You know, what, what it's like, we're all so concerned with, you know, math and science and all this, but along the way, it's, it is that personal relationship part that I've, I've, <laughs> trust me, I've experienced it. And I love that part of it, but it was just, uh, you can read it in books. I think you can be told it a thousand times, but unless it starts happening for you, unless you meet a guy like Kevin, like I, I was fortunate enough to do, it was like the light bulb just came on, you know, but, um, and, and going to school, um, I see you got your master's at the University of Denver. Is that right, Chelsea? I did, yes. What was your biggest takeaway? I'm always curious in, in, in what people learn in their, their, their education, especially like in a master's program. If you could pinpoint just, I don't know, one, one topic or, or one takeaway from your master's program there at the University of Denver, what would it be? So I was fortunate that we were heavily involved in the DISC assessment. And um, so actually tying into kind of your previous statement, I have... Um, I've never had a, a, a sociology, psychology um, class in my life. So I never learned, you know, the formal importance of communication and relationships and how the mind works. Um, so it's kind of just self-taught and observation over the years. When I got to Denver, um, that was the first time that anyone's focused on it through the DISC profile, um, where you truly are getting to know what drives a person. 
And what I thought was fascinating is a good part of their the first year of the program was just understanding your group. So we, we had a, an assigned group in the program where in every class, we basically had projects with that group. So you made that group the first day of class. You didn't know anyone's personality, anyone's work ethic, you know, intelligence level. And it was so fascinating because it, it is parallel to our work situations. We can't choose our coworkers, right? We, we can't choose what drives them, what doesn't drive them. Um, yes, you have interview processes to help you establish what might drive them and how they work. But at the end of the day, you don't know until day one when you're working with them. So what I loved about our education was, hey, here's a real world experience of how you have to learn how to work with these four individuals. And it was through the two years, we essentially had the same group. So by the end of it, I knew those four individuals very well, what drove them, what skills they were very good at and what they weren't good at, because I never had that formal education before. I never had that psychology degree that really gets you know, hones into what drives a person. And if I could change the education system, it, it's ironic that, that you brought it up. That is the one thing that I would force every high school is have a psych force a psychology degree. That is a requirement to get out of high school because our lives are interacting with people. If we can't interact with people successfully, you know, it, it, professionally or personally, we're, we're not going to go anywhere as an individual and as a society. Because everything at the end of the day is a sale, right? And, and mm -hmm. the sale is building rapport and establishing credibility and building trust, right? Um, and it's funny that we're having this conversation because my mom just brought it up at my father's retirement party last week that I would get grounded because when I was a child, I was more of an introvert. And I would, people ask me questions, I don't give them one yes or no answers, right? My mom would ground me at a certain point if I did not ask that individual questions back, right? And answer their questions. Um, and I think everybody's natural tendency is, well, I, I'm already friends with as many friends as I need, and I don't really need to be friends with you. So why would I say hello? And why does it really matter on how I react to that conversation? But it's helped me immensely throughout my career. Um, bartending, waitressing, uh, all of those kinds of things that really, really helped kind of I guess, see the light through other people's experiences that I didn't have to go through on my own or didn't, I had too much privilege to, to ever go through those types of scenarios or situations. Um, how has that experience, to Tyler's point, and kind of getting that humanizing approach, right, the psychology and really sociology of what motivates individuals and really seeing it as social, mental, physical, emotional, financial, all of those different buckets, um, how does that help you connect with the frontline workers of your of your workforce? Because a lot of times they're neglected, right? They're last to be thought of, but they make a large majority of the workforce and the actual work that we get paid to do. How does that help you connect with them, Chelsea? Well, um, it, the, the biggest thing is understanding that what drives them is very different than what drives me. So their interests, their purpose, their motivation is inherently different than mine. It's not wrong. That's what we need to know is, is what drives somebody isn't an incorrect driver. It just means that they're thinking different than us, right? So Kevin and Tyler, what you're thinking is entirely different than what I'm thinking. My purpose of being on this podcast is different than your purpose of being on this podcast. But ultimately, it's it's me understanding, okay, what is the ultimate driver and recognizing that recognizing what's important to each unique individual 
Because like I said, it is not incorrect what anyone is thinking. It's just getting in and understanding that, hey, I understand that that money might be your driver today, but tomorrow it is going to be recognition. And we have to make sure that we touch on each element. We have to make sure that that we do recognize the individuals for what they do because it is absolutely incredible. I will always say frontline workers are the hardest working, most intelligent, least recognized individuals out there. They are absolutely incredible and don't get enough credit for what they do. If you think in school, we've grown up being taught, okay, you can be an astronaut, you can be a police officer, but at what point in first grade when you're asking the kids, hey, what do you guys want to be? Do you ever hear somebody say a frontline worker? But the frontline workers are the backbone of America. And as a society, we need to determine and push the recognition behind it. We need to find a way to appreciate what they're doing. Because if we were to lose the frontline workers, where would we be, right? No. We're not going to have the professional services. Bankers aren't going to run the country, right? It's yeah. we need the frontline workers to succeed and keep moving forward as a society. And, and it's, it's, so it's one of those things where we need as a society to say, hey, your position might not be glamorous on paper, but is it is absolutely glamorous as a society and a necessity because you ultimately are the driving force of what's moving us forward. I love that. I love that. And it sounds like you're willing to ask them questions about what they actually need, right? And mm -hmm. instead of assuming, right? And then you see the differences and instead of making those decisions for them without including them within the decisions, they can't be upset with the culture that they co-created alongside of you. So I, I absolutely love that. Ty, what do you have? Yeah, Chelsea, I was going to ask you, what, what drives you? But before that, why are you on this podcast? You know, <laughs> I'd love to know, you know, I've never asked one of our guests that. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great question. So, um, so um, I, when, when Kevin reached out to me, he kind of intrigued me. And um, so of course I'm going through, I'm, I'm listening to some of your podcasts and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. So I apologize. I was not a podcast listener before. And now I'm, you know, I'm binge listening your podcast. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I, every day I drive to work, I listen to a podcast and you guys have basically the last couple of weeks, you guys have been my, we'll my take, we'll take the co-captain's chair next year. I mean, yeah. we're not there in person, but yeah, we'll be in the passenger seat. We appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of look at it as, is I, I look at it as everything as a learning opportunity, right? So I go into every meeting essentially with a purpose. So what do I want to get out of it? So, you know, there's meetings I spend hours preparing for. There's meetings I spend five minutes preparing for. But usually I'll go into some meeting or situation with uh, basically what's my purpose and what do I want to walk away with? Mm -hmm. And I think that should be everything. I think everyone should walk into a situation, even if it's walking into the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. What do you want out of this visit? because we only have limited time. So how are we using that time? So I look at it, whether it's a 15 minute meeting, a two hour meeting, what are you getting out of it? Because ultimately that's that's 15 minutes or two hours less in your life that you can live. I, yeah, I, that's and that's what I think the emphasis of the pandemic taught us was the value that we put on that time, right? Because it was finite. Now I talk about an experience of losing my friend at 27 to cancer, a rare cancer, I got that lesson very early on in life that tomorrow's never promised, so make the most of today. 
And I love that you see it the same way for these meetings because you talk to a lot of executives and my father, who's now retiring, you just said, I'm so excited to stop having meetings about meetings, about more meetings, you know? Um, and I think what you're talking about with purpose is something that I talk about frequently is setting the intention, right? Setting that intention is really, it allows us to focus our attention on what we're looking to hear in that meeting, get out of that meeting to your point, and really ensures that we get something out of it instead of just multitasking our way through it because <laughs> mm -hmm. we're so busy on the other side. I want to ask, what is, as a leader, when you're stepping out of bed, you know, putting those slippers on, what is your daily intention that you set for yourself? What is that daily purpose, Chelsea? So... From, from my perspective, it's giving 100% every day. Um, but the way I look at it is our business is essential. So we, most people don't look at the trucking industry as an essential business, right? You might look at healthcare, but you, you don't wake up and say, hey, the trucking industry is an essential business. Well, guess what? We are. If we were to stop and close our doors, you guys aren't getting Amazon packages. You aren't getting groceries delivered you aren't going to have your plow, your, your roads plowed. So we are basically, yet again, the backbone of America. And that's what ties back to, you know, the frontline workers. If we, you know, if we're all going to stay home, you know, America stops. And, and so our business, we're not actually making the deliveries, but we're, we're selling the vehicles and the making the repairs. Mm -hmm. So what happens if we shut down and say, hey, we're not feeling good, we're not going to come in the world stops mm -hmm. and we're not in the business for the glory of it. You, you will find that our business it's, you know, it's not glorified. Um, like I said earlier, nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a frontline worker and I want to be a technician. However, we are so essential and we never get the recognition that it's, it, you know, it's my job to, to thank the guys for showing up and show the importance of what they are to our society. I love that because you almost, I mean, my grandfather talked about it in manufacturing is if once they found out that that little screw plate, whatever they were making went into airplanes that flew mm -hmm. and everybody relied on the safety of that particular one little widget that they're making, all of a sudden it brought more purpose to their job. And I love how you're tying that bow around it for your, for your employees, because there, a lot of people don't know how these uh, products make it to the shelves of Wegmans um, because they've never cared to ask how or why. Mm -hmm. uh, so they just assume it kind of maybe by osmosis gets there on the shelves every day, you know, and organized in its perfect form or fashion. <laughs> I'm just loving, I'm loving the word purpose today, y'all. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I used to think, you know, I, I wish my calendar was just filled with purposeful things right like if Chelsea would take a meeting with me or you know or anything for God's sake right like I, I mean and, and to be so blessed I, I feel to have a, a, a day of purpose every day of my life is unbelievable um and I don't know how I got here I don't really care anywhere how I got here I try to remember but I think when we you know go through you know cutting your teeth on whatever it is and when you don't know you're doing it, it is it's a gift and I think we've all come out of that in some way shape or form and um, I wanted, and I, the, the word purpose, the other day, real quick, I just wanted to share, I was on the phone with a, a candidate I was speaking with, and I told him to have a good day when I was hanging up the phone with him. And he goes, yeah, you too, on purpose. And I, he hung up and I called him back and I was like, dude, did you just <laughs> tell me to have a, a good day on purpose? And he was like, you were listening. And I was like, I'm in, you know, you know, so I just wanted to share that with you. This, this word purpose keeps coming up 
over and over again. But Chelsea, I want to know what what are you working on right now on yourself? Is there one specific thing you told me you were drinking mud water earlier, trying to cut out coffee? <laughs> Didn't really work out. Get it? What are you working on right now? Well, that's a that's a great question. I, you know, I am always pro learning, always pro um, you know getting additional leadership support because we'll never be perfect, right? We're we're never the perfect combination of the disc profile or of traits, right? There's always weaknesses that we have. There's always strengths that we have. So as a leader, you know, I'm working on how can I be a better leader? So it's, it's, what do you need to learn? What do you need to unlearn? And what, you know, how, how can you apply those and, and kind of find that balance of what you're doing, right? Um, so I always kind of look at it as um, there's one thing that I can change each day, right? So what am I going to work on to change? And what's the priority? So if I say, okay, that's a low priority, you know, you kind of put it in the back of your mind. Or, oh, if that's a high priority item that I need to change, I need to make sure that today I'm doing it, but I've got a, pla a, a plan moving forward to make that change. So it's right, it's the smart goals mm -hmm. that, that, you know, we've, we've all been taught that um, we can be better, but if you don't hold yourselves accountable to make those changes, and make those improvements as a leader. So for me, one of my big um, kind of tasks after COVID was how can I create a, a, a better environment and engaging center when we're all wearing masks and we have to separate, right? So that kind of got thrown at us that we lost the in-family environment. So for me, my, my recent task is how can we recreate that inclusiveness even though we've got barriers still up from COVID. So how do we re-engage the troops to be fighting in the right direction and feel cohesive? Um, because the world has been totally turned around with COVID, right? Everyone has a different mentality than what it was before, which, you know, there's ways that I almost look at it as maybe it's good. It gave us a reality check at, uh, as a society and said, hey, I'm going to show my glaring faults as a company, as a leader, as an individual. It kind of magnified everything. But now was our opportunity, like as myself and as a, as a society is, okay, now we got to fix those. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm kind of, that, that's, that's my ultimate goal of what really has shown through in the last two years and what am I doing to make a difference each day to improve upon that. Powerful, powerful. That's how new habits are formed, you know, and then then it becomes habit, and then you forget totally why you're doing it and how how you got there. Mm -hmm. um, I love your point about self reflection, right? And this is a really um, it's something that I talk about frequently. It's something that I think about frequently. Is really that self reflection, you know? Um, I was pretty poor at it. Um, I think most people battle with that imposter syndrome, right? Because typically we're focused on our weaknesses because we've been told to focus on our weaknesses and really shy away from our strengths because if it's a strength that outshines somebody else, I was told, well, raise somebody else to that rate, right? You don't want to be the star of the show. And I don't know if that's hurt me in my professional career at all, but I know I don't kiss butt to get promotions, right? I just, I don't do it. I let my performance speak for itself. Um, but that self-reflection was only possible, and Tyler gave uh, a shout out to me, but what he did for me was I almost needed that accountability partner, but also that strengths guiding partner, right? For Tyler to say, hey, you know what? That's a strength of yours. And, and I don't know if enough people have built that 
net around them or that social society or board of directors, whatever we want to call it, to really identify their strengths. And how do you how did you get yourself to that point, right, with that constant reflection, right? Because it's either a practice of gratitude, which it sounds like a little bit, um, but what is your constant reflection to know what is a priority, what's not a priority, what is Chelsea's strength, and what is a weakness that I need to prioritize? Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of inherently got to it. It's building that team around you to give you that constructive feedback. So it's your support staff that ultimately is the one driving you. So as a CEO, you you are the one driving the ship, right? So you have a board of directors that might be kind of giving you direction and feedback, but ultimately it is on you. So I look at it, it doesn't matter the position, you should have a support staff. So for example, when I was race walking, I had a coach that gave me workouts. at every race, I had somebody giving me times. I had a um, a, a nutrition, um, I don't know what you'd call them. It, it was my mom, but um, she would give me nutrition throughout the race, right? So you need a nutritionist. Um, you, you need a chiropractor, right? So you've got that support staff around you to help you succeed. I couldn't, I couldn't have competed at the level I was competing without that support staff giving me feedback throughout, coaching me, you know, giving me honest criticism. So as I'm getting my splits coming around, um, I'm hearing, hey, you're off your pace. You need to pick it up. If somebody isn't critiquing me in that manner, I'm just going along and thinking, hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm having a fabulous race. But you need that outside honest support system to tell you what's going right and what's going wrong. So in business, it's the same thing. So who are your mentors? Do you have somebody that can give you honest feedback and direct you that's, you know, a little bit older and wiser, let's just say, or do you have somebody that is below you that maybe you're the mentor for, but you should still be learning from that individual. And I also look at it as you should have people within your field and industry and totally outside of your field, because you want a full scope of what's going on and you can learn from anyone. So I look at it is if you don't have a mentor or support system or group that you can go to within and outside of your industry, you're not giving yourself the right tools to succeed. So for example, I'm in an industry group with um, that with other dealers. I'm also in a Rochester group with other family business owners but each group is equally important because I can lean on the different groups for different ways. You know, one might be more financial based, one might be more, you know, strategic based, but if you don't surround yourself with the right, um, with the right coaching support team, then, you know, you're not making it to the Olympics and you're not making it to the pivotal point of your career. Yeah. I, I and, and I think what you're really doing is shaping your, multiple perspectives, right? From, from different angles and different viewpoints. You said something, Tyler, I'm going to ask two questions back to back because I have to ask this question because I've been fascinated with the definition of individuals have towards wisdom, right? And I think society, we tend to look at age as a direct correlation with the amount of wisdom. Is, do you truly feel like age equals wisdom, right? Or is wisdom, is, it, are, are, is there the possibility, I see 40 under 40 under uh, behind you, 
you mm-hmm. being in a family owned and operated business, you now being in that leadership position, I'm sure you're making different decisions than the previous individual in that role. Some may be total outside the box and like, what are you thinking? Um, how have you gotten yourself comfortable with change? Um, and, and what is your definition of wisdom? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so I will start with change. So um, change is, is always an uncomfortable topic for everyone. Everyone resists it at first. And then usually by the end, you'll hear, okay, yep, that was, that was the right move. But first with change, you need to be inclusive of everyone deciding what direction and change you want to go. So even if you individually might know what direction you need to go, that may or may not be the right direction. So you need to incorporate the rest of the stakeholders to determine, is this the right direction? And essentially create that direction with your other stakeholders and that helps them get buy-in, but that also keeps you in check. I've had terrible ideas of directions and change that I wanted to make that until I opened up the conversation to others, I thought it was the right way. And then people might say, nope, this is maybe this is more the lane that we need to go. But you also need to, to be aware that you have to accept that somebody is going to tell you, hey, you're kind of being an idiot here. Let's look over in this mm-hmm. in this way. But um, so it's first for change, it's being inclusive of how you determine where you want to go. And then you also need them to understand why. So my biggest thing that I try to push is if we're changing anything, so you, you've got your team that, that decides what we're changing to, then you need to say why to everyone else, because there's usually a purpose for the change. Is it efficiency? Is it a safety thing? And most people just say, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to change. But if you give the reason to why you need to change, people are typically more on board and can buy in from a greater capacity. Whereas you just coming in and saying, this is what we're doing today. Sorry, no, you know, I, I don't want your feedback. You, you can't take that approach. I, I love the why, right? Because I, I just talked about it the other day is nobody, nobody likes the word no without the explanation of why, right? Um, same thing with furloughs, uh, why, right? Why, why am I being furloughed? Is it the expense of all these others jobs and positions, right? Maybe I'll be a little bit more understanding um, because I think why just forces us to communicate more, right? It's, 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 it is the word itself. It is get to, to frame that question, but hearing you talk, it's really about just forcing the communication, right? Mm-hmm. And I loved how you put including them within those decisions because it builds accountability all things that I talk about very frequently. And it's awesome to hear somebody else um, at your level um, seeing it work uh, because we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, to your, your second question about wisdom. So I, I will admit I'm not the smartest individual in the company, nor will I ever be the smartest individual <laughs> in the company. Um, it doesn't matter how many years I work in this business. Um, you know, I won't know everything. I look at it as, as we've got 200 experts in different departments and they hold the wisdom within that department and within that, within that position. So I can learn from, from those individuals and I just need to be willing to you know put my pride aside and ask them, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. So I think wisdom is more in the questions you ask. So you don't need to be the smartest individual in the room 
You just need to be the one willing to ask the best questions. Love it. Love it. That is awesome. Dang, right. And I was just, I was just thinking if it wasn't for change, we'd probably all get here on our horse today. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, walking. And, and, and a little while ago, Chelsea, when you were talking, I couldn't help but hearing the word like prepare. Like, I don't, I, for some reason, when you were talking about, you know, you, if you weren't looking at your pace, you had no clue. And my, my, my chest, I was like, when did we in it go out of style, right? Like, <laughs> like it, it's just not a thing, I don't think. When you hit some age, it's like, if you're not prepared, it shows, um, at least in, in my experience. And it's just every one of these, Kevin, we have, man. And Chelsea, thanks for, again for getting on here. This sharpens my day. Like, like if I could do a CEO gets me going all over again. So Chelsea, thank you again for, for jumping on here. And I just wanted to ask you, what intimidates you nowadays? Is there anything that still intimidates Chelsea Conway? Oh my gosh. Well, yes, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, usually it's, it's, it's like anyone else. What, what makes you uncomfortable? So how I try to, I try to look at it is what uncomfortable task can I take on? So I always try to relate it to sports because most people can, can kind of tie back to that, right? So I am not a very good mountain biker and I'm trying wholeheartedly to get into mountain biking. So from my perspective, I am fearful of standing, you know, at the top of a hill with rocks and roots and looking down and saying, oh, geez, how am I going to navigate this? There's no way I'm taking that approach. But if you think about it, that, you know, like that's a sports analogy, but how many times in the business are you in the same where you're like, oh my gosh, what direction do I go? There's all of these barriers and constraints, whether it's, you know, staffing or production, you know, manufacturing constraints is how are you going to tackle and take the approach? So how I like to kind of rewind is, yes, I look at stuff with intimidation, but Fear is false expectations um, that you just need to overcome, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of risk versus reward. So what is the worst possible scenario that can occur in an uncomfortable situation? So, okay, me looking down on a mountain bike is, okay, I'm going to break my leg, right? That's the worst case scenario. But I'm not going down, you know, hills that, that would, would cause that type of thing. Now, from a business perspective, what's the worst type of, of scenario? The business goes out of business, right? So you almost have to look at that risk side and say, okay, what is the worst thing that could happen? Well, a broken leg isn't that terrible, so that shouldn't intimidate me. Mm -hmm. I love how you frame that because it's almost creating that monster in, the, in our childhood closet, right? Your monster looked different than my monster that I depicted in my own head without really determining, well, what is the worst case scenario? And is it just the fear of change that we're going to limit? Mm -hmm. I loved how you put that because change is scary. Um, but I think through your process, right, the ability to listen and learn, um, gain multiple perspectives, um, I think is really, is really how you gain more wisdom to drive business decisions that obviously impact not just yourself, but the 200 individuals that you mentioned. Um, one of the things I wanted to go back to that you had talked about is uh, really getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and, and most people uh, are frankly un, unwilling to go over that initial per, part of inertia. Um, 
What have you learned um, in a family owned and operated business as you kind of worked your way into the position that you are? What did you learn in maybe some of those first positions that you worked with within the organization that really have helped you as now the CEO? Mm -hmm. I would say the first few years were the most challenging. So anyone coming into a business, um, you know, people are judging you harshly and even more so in a family business, Mm -hmm. because they think that the only reason you're there is because your family name. Well, essentially they are correct. However, you need to work that much harder to overcome that. Mm -hmm. So um, I started, you know, in in my mid twenties as a female in a male dominated industry that typically has older men in the business. So I have to establish what are, going back to strengths and weaknesses, what are my strengths and weaknesses and how can I overcome these preconceived notions that people have of me. I know I'm gonna have to work harder than a male in the industry. I know I'm gonna have to work harder than an older individual in the business. So it's setting up your team around you. So kind of working with the different individuals and going back to kind of the team mentality, the asking for help and learning. You essentially can see who's on your team. You should know, you should be able to name the five individuals that will give you honest feedback, but but back you up no matter what. Now, next week, it should be six individuals, you know, like keep building your team out. And that was kind of my approach of, I went in and I said, I'm here to learn who can teach me, who's willing to teach me. And unfortunately, I found there was individuals that weren't willing to work with me and weren't willing to teach me. And that's when, as a leader, you have to decide, can we get them on my team or is it time to part ways and go in a different direction and that is the most challenging thing to do especially in a family business because that individual might have worked very well with your parent but because everyone has a different leadership style a different management style it's okay to say hey your knowledge and skills are incredible but your, you know, your culture doesn't fit with my culture. And that's what a manager ultimately has to decide. What is your own culture? And then does it fit within the company culture? So it's, I I kind of look at it as like two little pieces, right? How, how Tyler is going to be a manager is different than how Kevin's going to be a manager. Each of your cultures and interactions with your team is going to be entirely different, but does that fit in with your culture together as a podcast. Yeah, yeah. That is awesome, Chelsea. And and what did you learn from your parents growing up? Like what was Um, your biggest takeaway? We can kind of dive in there. Absolutely. So um, we have always been hardworking individuals. So I, you know, I see both of my parents working hard in and out every day. So um, my dad, ironically enough, was a competitive water skier. So we really like the unique oh, sports, if you can tell, race walking, <laughs> water skiing. Um, so I saw, you know, my dad get up every day and work hard to, to stay in, and train at that level and compete at that level. So you learn a lot from observation. And, you know, if, from my perspective, it's, it's it, watching that hard work and, you know, turning into success, right? Nobody wakes up and is automatically successful. Mm -hmm. I think your success is driven by your own 
you know, like what you put towards it, right? I didn't wake up and suddenly start competing at a high level of race walk. I didn't wake up and then just say, okay, I'm the CEO of a company. You have to start from the beginning, but it comes down to hard work. You won't ever talk to a CEO that says, I wake up and I'm naturally a CEO and I'm naturally a fabulous CEO. Any CEO or business leader or coach will say, I worked hard to get here. And at the end of the day, it's how hard are you willing to work? And you don't necessarily have to be the hardest worker, but you have to be the smartest worker. Mm-hmm. So, so collectively utilizing your resources, resources to say, okay, I need to get from A to B. How am I going to do that with the resources and the time that I have to invest to get to that D point? And when do I need to shift and pivot? But ultimately, it was kind of me observing others and how they reached their goal and, you know, the mental strength that that you do need to tap into, right? There's There are days where I wake up and I'm like, oh, shoot, I need to go to work. I mean, anyone would be lying that would say that. But there are so many other days that I wake up and say, I'm excited to make a change and do something. And you just need to push through and power through those hard days, grind through those tough workouts to get to know that, hey, my end result is here and I'm just going to keep driving through to make sure that I get there. What has been your greatest success as a CEO? Um, in 2017, we purchased the Buffalo Mac and Volvo dealership. So that was obviously very, you know, a few years into when I took over, very new, a entirely different experience. I had never gone through an acquisition before. Um, so it was such an eye-opening experience of you're walking into a new location where people have no idea who you are, yet again, they're judging you. And unfortunately, a lot of times with acquisitions, the um the you know the the employees that you're 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 bringing on to your team kind of hate you automatically and i, I hate to say it but um <laughs> they're they're disgruntled because the previous owner sold out yeah and um you know i look at it as great this is an opportunity to meet 50 new people i'm super excited but um you have to find a way to get them on board and i will stay i'm still working on it right i i love every employee equally, but um, it's getting them to understand and recognize that you're not the outcast. You're not the new stepchild. You are still part of the family, even though you came in a different capacity than some of the other team members we have. It's we're still a team at the end of the day. So that is, you know, that would that by far has been the, the biggest challenge of bringing on a new culture, fitting it into your own while still letting them retain their personality and their culture, but ultimately saying we are one, you know, it, it, you're not on a lone island. That, that is awesome. And I was just thinking your dad had to really be in a time crunch, you know, to, to do some water skiing in Rochester, right? Is, <laughs> or did he have some awesome like wetsuits? <laughs> no, he's just one tough individual. So I, he I was doing the polar plunge every single yes. day is what you're yep. telling me. Oh yep. my God. That's what, you know, I, he would, he was up at six in the morning training, you know, and, and I think that's honestly where I got my work ethic is, um, you know, when, when I was training, I would wake up in high school at five in the morning and do a couple miles before high school. What high schoolers do you know are waking up at five in the morning 
to go and do a workout before going into to class. So um, it's it's observing successful people. So I think the biggest the biggest thing is for mo for most people is where do you want to be and what are those people doing that um, that you want to be right. So what are if it's an athletic thing, what are those top athletes doing that you need to start doing to reach that point? What are those top CEOs doing that make them successful? So if we need to learn from these successful people and then bring on those habits. I love it. I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, you couldn't have put it any better. I think that's kind of just uh, the, our commitment and willingness to learn, right. And relearn and unlearn, like you shared earlier. So, and I think just uh, being aware of, of kind of that impact that we're having on the individual lives of our employees just helps us to gain more perspective and your willingness to listen and learn. I, I, I've loved today's conversation. Uh, and the last question that I guess I have for you today is, is really talking about um, I being a woman, right, that you shared in a very male-dominated industry. We're talking about leadership traits, and females typically are naturally born emotionally intelligent, right? How have you tapped into being a female CEO, right, to start celebrating discussions about mental health? Um, because mm -hmm. you touched on it earlier. If they're not happy and healthy at home, they're not going to be happy and healthy at my organization providing the best service to my customer. How did you get to that point? Because not most people have, uh, have, have seen or come to that realization that employee experience equals customer experience. Mm -hmm. Well, like you said, fortunately, it, it does tend to be a female trait. But I think, you know, I'm going to rewind slightly. I look at being a female CEO in a male-dominated industry as a competitive advantage. Love so that. when I walk into a room, there's no other females that are my age that are running a company. So guess what? They're going to know who I am solely because I am different and unique from everyone else. So it's embracing the differences that you have. Mm -hmm. So whatever diversity that you have as an individual, you need to play it up, right? That doesn't mean that you don't, um, you don't downplay your weaknesses, or, or focus on your weaknesses, but take advantage of the competitive advantages that were given to you. So when I walk into a room of male-dominated, you know, a, a, a male-dominated industry room, I say, okay, maybe I'm gonna wear my pink blazer today because I'm gonna stand out when every other guy has a black or blue blazer, mm -hmm. right? So they're going to see me there. They're, you know, they're gonna make that connection. I'm gonna stand out more than another 50 year old male walking around that's balding and having a <laughs> conversation. So, so I would say that my first advice to anyone is however you are different, use that diversity and play that diversity up to be a competitive advantage to you in, in your professional life. Um, and then tapping into the emotional intelligent side of thing. I believe that it, you know, what, what my role is, is making my managers aware of their emotional intelligence. So how am I training you to have those strengths that I have? So if I noticed, hey, this person doesn't seem quite, you know, quite as chipper as they normally do. So it's, okay, how am I training, you know, a male that might not have that emotional intelligence? You know, I could easily walk up to that individual and say, hey, how are you doing? 
but you know, you only, there's only one of you. So how can you train somebody else to have those similar traits and, you know, coaching them through on what to look for, you know, how we can work with that individual, how we can solve their problem, because yes, there is only one of me, but that's what great leaders do, right? They find a way to make hundreds of them in their organization. And that's what it, it's not your ego that you're afraid that somebody else is going to come out with a better idea and make you look bad. And what you touched on is really, I think, uh, encap- encapsulates what the, what the future of leadership looks like. You give people the tools, the support, the time, the the space, and the environment. And really, um, ideally, you don't have to be in the room. And and somebody had shared this quote with me the other day is, it's not about what your employees say to your face, it's what they say to you when you leave the room, right? And that really tells you the the real culture that you have within your organization. But I just want to say thank you so much, Chelsea, for sharing an hour with us. This was a fabulous conversation and a fantastic opportunity to talk to a younger CEO in a family-run business. Um, That's a heck of a long history. I have no doubt that you'll continue it forward to uh, 2051 and beyond uh, to, to reach that 100-year mark. But uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being a great leader here in our community and really prioritizing that holistic well-being of your employees because that grows your impact here in our community as well. So thank you, Chelsea. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for having me and please keep having your podcasts. I'm now a, a, a binge listener because, <laughs> like I said, I love listening to to other leaders and other success stories, because that only makes me more successful. So please don't stop. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Sounds good. We're going to try. We're going to keep doing it. Thanks for kicking off season three. Absolutely.